Welcome to Gathering Gold. This is Cheryl Paul. And I'm Victoria Russell. In today's episode, we are talking about loneliness. This is a subject that feels very alive right now because of where you and I are, Cheryl, seasonally. Mm -hmm. So in our hemisphere, we are at the end of autumn and we're facing shorter and colder days. On the East Coast, or at least in New Jersey, we've actually had the foliage, the leaves like really hanging on. So we still Mm. have some color in the trees, but I know for many people, the trees are bare and the light starts to wane so much earlier in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, this change in the light and the weather and the landscape can just feel lonely. It can bring up a lonely feeling. Mm. And then on top of that, this week is Thanksgiving week in the U.S., So we're marking the start of the holiday season, which can also bring up a lot of feelings of loneliness in many people. Mm -hmm. So Cheryl, I know that you have a passage from the wisdom of anxiety that really speaks to loneliness that you have to share with us today. Mm. I do. And... I want to start by saying that even just listening to you talk about this place where we are seasonally and the bare-limbed trees and the light fading earlier, of course, in this hemisphere, I'm very aware of our, our friends in the Southern Hemisphere that are experiencing the opposite right now, but this is where we are, and I sit here It's dark outside, Mm -hmm. very dark. I have a candle lit and I'm so aware of this time that we're in and how it can feel so lonely and I feel into that at times. And also there's a way in which when we make room for the loneliness and befriend the loneliness and name the loneliness that it can shift into something else. And I think we'll get more into that as we progress through this hour. I love that we're recording this right in this moment and even this time of day when it's, when it's so dark. Mm. So this is from the wisdom of anxiety. There's a fundamental loneliness that is part of the fabric of being human. It arrives in the corners of night when shadows form from curtain folds and the backs of chairs. It seeps in just before twilight when afternoon exhales its last breath and evening hasn't yet inhaled. It lives on the edges of exaltation in the space between the golden hour when the gods breathe their jeweled breath over meadows and in the splintered crack just before night's multicolored ink begins to sink into dreams. There are acute times when loneliness appears, holidays, 
transitional ebbs in the week or days, birthdays. This is often when shame stories bleed into loneliness and tell you things like, everyone else is having fun right now. Everyone else has a family and is off on an adventure and I'm alone. Or, I'm not alone. I'm with my family or with my partner and I still feel lonely. Loneliness is the twin sister to grief, and they often arrive at your doorstep holding hands. When you breathe deeply enough into the loneliness, the dam that has been holding back your grief breaks, and the water comes pouring out on the rivers of memory. First heartbreak, parents divorce long ago, a friendship that came to the end of a road. But loneliness often arrives first, standing with a bouquet of wilted flowers, asking only one thing, to be invited inside. Loneliness arrives like a hollow place in the tree of body, the empty space where diaphragm and stomach meet. Loneliness is the space without breath. Loneliness is the time you cried alone on your bed and nobody came to comfort you. There was a time when you were as close to oneness as you could be with another human being. When you grew inside your mother's belly, eating what she ate, smelling what she smelled, moving as she moved. But even then, there was an amniotic sac that surrounded you and created a definable boundary between baby and mother. There is still a sac. We can no longer see it, but this white slippery sack of separateness surrounds us still. We are meant to feel lonely. It's part of the definition of being human. It's important to know this so that we don't fall into traps of thinking it should be otherwise. The culture sends us both overt and covert messages that it should be otherwise. That if you lose weight or live in this house or have this baby with this partner, you will be immunized against loneliness. It isn't so. There isn't a partner in the world that can protect you against loneliness. That's not the function of love. There isn't a friend in the world that can protect you against loneliness. That's not the reason for friendship. There isn't a child in the world that can protect you from loneliness. That's not the purpose of being a parent. There is only one antidote to loneliness, to befriend it. When we make friends with loneliness, shedding the belief that we're not supposed to feel it, and shattering the fantasy that other people with their families and friends are immune to it, we welcome it in through the front door. We greet loneliness as we would any other feeling state and become curious about its stories. Loneliness, we might say. Tell me about yourself. What color are you? What shape are you? 
What stories from my past live in the strands of yarn that compose your tattered blankets? Once you invite loneliness inside, it changes tenor. This is the paradox of loneliness. When we befriend it, it shapeshifts. It's still there in the pocket of your body, but it loses its spike. Once you invite loneliness over the threshold, it softens like an angry child taken into a mother's warm arms. Curiosity is the potion that shifts it, and creativity is the medicine that sends it into channels of light. That is so beautiful. Mm. It is one of my favorite parts of your book. Loneliness, despite the fact that we often think we are the only person who's feeling it, Mm -hmm. as you name, it actually is this existential experience, this part of being human that everybody knows. Yes. And I think what's so interesting is that when we're really feeling lonely, it is hard to imagine that other people feel that way. And that just makes us feel more alone. And I actually think that if we could really connect to other people's feelings of loneliness, that we wouldn't feel as lonely. Absolutely, yes. So it's that paradox of recognizing an existential, archetypal, universal experience. And this one in particular, because loneliness by definition includes I am all alone with this. It's just me. I'm the only one. But remembering that you're not is part of the medicine, part of what helps us connect a little bit more and feel a little bit less lonely. I think one of the traps is that we have this illusion because of the internet and because of social media and because of Google of talking about these universal experiences. One would think everybody would know that people feel lonely now because everything is talked about. There's nothing under the sun that's not discussed. And yet it somehow doesn't touch that place Mm. of hearing it from another human voice. I feel lonely too. I struggle in this way too. It's like you can read about somebody else's social anxiety, but to actually hear it from another human being face-to-face or even screen-to-screen, it lands in a completely different place. Yes, it's like investigating with curiosity, like you name in that passage, what color are you? What stories Mm -hmm. are you bringing up? It's the difference between hearing the statistic. Like, I think we we are talking about loneliness in an abstract way more and more. You see, like, news articles that say one in five people in the US say that they are lonely. 
But that's so different from hearing what color is loneliness and what stories is it telling. Exactly. So we know cognitively that alongside COVID, we are also in a pandemic of loneliness. I think everybody knows that at the intellectual level, but it doesn't really penetrate at the level of the heart. What does your loneliness feel like? What does your loneliness remind you of? And it's actually something that we had talked about earlier, you and I, that I would love for us to share here some of our specific memories of loneliness. Mm. When we think of loneliness, what comes to mind? What comes to mind for me in the first instant is sixth grade. Mm-hmm. being on the school bus. And I've I mentioned this in other episodes, I think, being on the school bus, listening to other kids make plans for the weekend, <sighs> or being in the hallway, surrounded by people, jostled by people, but feeling really lonely, feeling <sighs> like I didn't really have any real yes. friends. Yes. And when you share that, I feel it viscerally mm. in my body which is exactly that shared experience. Everybody knows loneliness. Everybody has a memory or many, many memories and sometimes traumatic memories of loneliness. We all know loneliness just like we all know grief. And as I wrote in that passage, they are, they are twins. They mm. often come together. And for me, when I think about loneliness, it's also childhood memories that come. One of them is that late afternoon time of day, being in my childhood house, my parents working, my brother somewhere else, and watching the light fade and feeling the light fade and almost this gray feeling mm-hmm. like loneliness is there's no, to me there's not a lot of color in loneliness it's gray mm. it's sort of this empty disconnected i'm i'm not an amoeba in this moment i'm not connected to my other people i'm alone in the universe in this moment And I was telling you earlier, Victoria, that's a very specific feeling that when I go back to Los Angeles, I still feel it at that exact time of day, this wave of loneliness washes over me sometime around five o'clock, I mean, depending on the season. And it feels almost like I'm going to die. Mm. I don't feel it in that same way in Colorado, but for many years, the, the current loneliness, the more current loneliness as an adult um, has been that for many years, it took me a very long time to make friends after we moved. And we moved 15 years ago from Los Angeles. And so even though I feel deeply connected to my husband and deeply connected to my children and deeply connected to my friends 
my soul sister friends who are in California, I hadn't met people here. And there were times, especially in the neighborhood, where I would, that loneliness would just overcome me. And particularly this time of year, starting late November and then growing incrementally into December, more in January and February, just this like (laughs) (laughs) expanse of barren loneliness. Mm. And for many years, that would be the month that I would be getting onto realtor.com or Zillow (laughs) going, oh, it's time to go back to LA. (laughs) This is unbearable. And then March would come and the natural world would wake up and that would fill me so much that it would eclipse the human loneliness because I would be so filled up by nature and my connection to nature. Mm. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about those different types of loneliness later. But I think it was important for us to start by sharing our specific what comes to mind first, because it's universal. Everybody has their stories of loneliness. Yes. And I definitely have more recent loneliness than just when I was 11. And I'll I'll share (laughs) a little bit more of that later on too, my more recent loneliness. Mm. I'm so curious to hear as we are kind of putting more language and even imagery around loneliness. I'm curious to hear what are some of the stories that come up for your clients that you work with from the people that you hear from around the world? Yes. Yeah. What are the stories that come up around loneliness? What sorts of thoughts and experiences are people having, especially around this time of year? Yes. It's pronounced this time of year and not a day goes by that I don't hear about it in my with my clients with my group members um, it's daily it's pervasive and again it's no doubt amplified by covid so people saying things like I haven't seen my sister in two years right how painful that is that feeling of loneliness that that and genders, mm-hmm. um, you know, the loneliness that can come up in an intimate relationship and a, with a romantic partner and how quickly that can shift into relationship anxiety. If I'm feeling lonely, it means I'm with the wrong person. I should never feel lonely with my soulmate. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, soulmate in quotation marks. Loneliness in terms of the holidays approaching. And as I wrote in in that passage, holidays will amplify. It will bring into high relief these places of pain, the grief and the loneliness of what's missing. So the person who has been trying for months to conceive and all they see everywhere are babies. Baby's first Thanksgiving, baby's first Christmas, and the holiday cards being sent out and Mm -hmm. and the 
the searing pain of that. And the person who is recently broken up or divorced and trying to navigate that experience of profound loneliness. The loneliness of breakup is its own brand of loneliness. Yes. Right? Just a a sea of loneliness. Heartache, heartbreak. The person whose mother died or father died in this past year or grandparent died or child died and Yes, that's grief, but that's also the loneliness of who's missing. The person whose family doesn't live up to the ideal, and I think it's fair to say that's every family. (laughs) (laughs) That is literally every single family. There is no ideal, and yet we all imagine that there is somewhere, somehow, there is some perfect Norman Rockwell ideal family. And that doesn't mean that there's not goodness in families. There's so much goodness and there's pain. And there are people missing and there are relationships that are severed or fractured that haven't been repaired. Right? And that brings grief, yes, and also loneliness. And then of course, the people who don't have partners, who are not with family, who are literally alone. That's a profound loneliness and it shouldn't be, it should not be that way. We are not meant to be alone. And there is so much of that right now for a variety of reasons, but we are still in this pandemic. We are still hampered by it. Yes, people are are traveling and people are doing more than they were doing last year, but many people are not. Many people are not comfortable getting on a plane or being at a family gathering. And what it is to spend a holiday alone, so long. You said to me, Cheryl, when we were preparing for this, you said, you can feel lonely at any time in any situation. Mm -hmm. And you shared with me that there are really three types of loneliness Mm -hmm. that you name loneliness of the self, mm-hmm. relational loneliness, and spiritual loneliness. Mm. And we're going to take a look at all of those and just start starting with the self, loneliness mm. of the self. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you can unpack a little bit for us what that means, what it looks like, and how that shows up for people. So if you imagine that your body is a tree and there's this central column 
in the center of your body, starting with your head, your heart, your belly solar plexus, lower down into your legs. And the four realms of self that I often talk about is this central column of mind, heart, body, and spirit. But we're going to mostly focus on those, the three realms of mind, heart, and body and get to spirit in a little while. So when we are disconnected, because loneliness, I think, is is a state of disconnect. When we are disconnected, we feel lonely, right? When we lose that umbilical cord to self, other, and spirit, something bigger than ourselves, we are in disconnect. We're just floating around like an astronaut who loses the tether to the space station and then whoop, they're just floating around. Well, they would die, right? They, they can't do that. That's mm. their umbilical cord. So when we are disconnected, we're not in loving relationship and compassionate relationship to our thoughts, our mind, our heart, and our body. It's an internal state of loneliness. It's a state of self-abandonment. When we push away our emotional lives, when we meet our emotions with shame, when we meet loneliness with shame, we send ourselves into exile. We send our, our young selves, our vulnerable, tender selves, our emotional selves, even our thoughts, into exile, and it creates a state of internal loneliness. And then there's loneliness that can happen with others. So then imagine central column is the trunk, and then your arms extending out as if you had sort of multiple arms like tree branches. These are our connections to others, to friends, to partner, to community, to animals, to pets, right? All of our family members. And when we are cut off, when we don't have enough contact, we feel lonely. And a different kind of loneliness is the existential. We can even be in contact with family, sitting around the holiday table, and feel lonely with your partner, not feeling seen and understood and gotten in that moment. And you feel lonely. And it strikes me how that loneliness of self or disconnect from self Mm -hmm. can kind of lead into loneliness with others. Because if you are cutting off certain parts of yourself, if you're ashamed of yourself, if you're feeling that way, then then you might not feel like you can really connect with others mm. as deeply as you want to. Yes. Because you feel like fundamentally not okay, fundamentally like you have to hide parts of yourself. When I think back on that sixth grade year, I was having so much anxiety I was having a really hard time getting into the school building, as I shared in our school anxiety episode. Mm. 
And I feel like for a long time, I constantly felt like I was either lying or like hiding something Mm. because I thought, you know, people are going to think I'm so weird. People are not going to understand. And so there's just a loneliness in when you, within yourself that then can, can like radiate out. Yes. Our culture is not set up to invite that kind of authentic sharing where you would have felt safe enough to say, I'm really struggling with anxiety, (laughs) right? You were 11 or 12. There was no way you were going to say that. Our structures and our institutions are not set up to invite that kind of vulnerability. And so, of course, you would hide it and then it would create that sense of inner loneliness and outer loneliness, both. And then what comes to mind also just in terms of, of children and teens, but it happens all through life, but I'm so very aware of this because of where my sons are at, but I hear this all the time in my work, the loneliness of not finding your people. Mm. The loneliness of longing for a certain kind of depth, similar to what you're saying, Victoria, right? That you were, you, I'm sure you were aware of that at 11, even though you wouldn't have had the words for it. But the longing for a certain kind of depth of authenticity, of vulnerability, and also just like-mindedness, right? The loneliness of the highly sensitive person. Mm. The loneliness of the kid who's not interested in going to big parties and drinking to oblivion and blacking out and being a jerk, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and, you know, these are my sons. They're not interested in what most of their peers are doing. And that's a particular and profoundly painful kind of loneliness. And I felt that too as a teen and even into college because I wasn't into drinking culture. I I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I wasn't interested. And so that loneliness of, of that comes from the longing and the pure, raw, primal human need to connect with your people, your tribe. Mm. How hard it is to find one's tribe these days, maybe in other eras too, I don't know. But how hard it is to find one's tribe and the loneliness that that creates in that in that tree branch on the right side of your body, right? Imagining that's, that's others. The loneliness of not having those others, having maybe some kinds of others, but it doesn't quite meet that place. Of course, remembering, as I shared in the beginning, there is no perfect friend. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be a perfect twin match and in friendship. But certainly, we all deserve to feel seen, to have that sense of this person gets me and I get them. And there is, you know, a meeting of the minds and a meeting of the hearts. Mm. And for me, it's like even just a friend who's like, you know what? 
I don't really relate exactly to that, but I know you and I I know these things about you and I care about you. Yes. That in and of itself is so special that we can both kind of like chuckle at like how mm. different we are and how we might not get certain things on a visceral level, but we know each other and we care about each other. And that is good enough. And it's more than good enough. And yes, last night I was rereading some sections from Casper Turkile's book, The Power of Ritual, Mm. because so much of that book is about connection. And there's a section in the book where he talks about loneliness. He talks about, there's a famous Harvard study. It was a very long-term study that followed I think it might have just followed men, but followed them until like from, I don't know, like their 20s to their 80s or something like that. And Mm. found that the biggest indicator of health was not like their cholesterol or their genetics Mm -hmm. even, but their relationships, the quality of their relationships. And in, in this book, The Power of Ritual, Casper Turkile talks about this dinner party that started up with a woman who a young woman who had just lost her mother i think in her last year of college her mother died and she felt like everywhere she went she didn't know how to talk to people and she didn't know how to feel seen and understood mm. by people and she felt mm. like it was awkward when people said what are you doing for christmas who will you be with and mm-hmm. she started this dinner party for people who were experiencing grief <sighs> It started with five people and then it just grew and grew and there were all like multiple locations and people started asking, you know, does it count if I lost a pet? Can Mm. I come if I experienced sexual assault? Like these things Mm. that make people feel so alone and disconnected. Yes. People started to form these groups and have these dinner parties where they could just bring their full authentic experience of whatever had happened and not just like the palatable this is how you're allowed to talk about the experience of grief Mm. and this is the sliver of Mm. the experience that you're allowed to share with people it just struck me as such a beautiful (sighs) example of that relational connection that can be such a bomb for that loneliness That's just nothing short of extraordinary. Mm. Really, the medicine that our world needs, like when I was saying earlier that the schools aren't set, they weren't set up for you to come and say, I'm struggling with anxiety. But that's what you would have needed in some kind of very safe way for 11 and 12-year-olds. But that she identified If I'm feeling this way, I bet other people are feeling this way too. And in fact, they were. And I think the whole entire planet feels this way. Like, let's talk about what is actually happening. And same Mm -hmm. like around the holidays, right? We talk up here at the surface layer and that's great and You know, like we talked about in our episode on humor, we need that place too of lightness and play and humor and fun and games. 
But if only there was a way to also acknowledge and make room for that huge underbelly of what people are also feeling as they approach the holidays or any kind of gathering like that. Yeah, and as you named during COVID, there's been, like you said, for a lot of people, less so now, but still to a degree, isolation and that physical, physical isolation and separation and loneliness. And Mm -hmm. I was one of those people who was living alone during a lot of those lockdown months. And I experienced like a physical loneliness of just this Mm. aching, aching for Mm. someone else. Mm. And I have a little poem that kind of speaks to some loneliness, that physical loneliness. And I wrote this actually the August before COVID because for me, summers have been a little bit lonely because my partner is a wildfire fighter and wildfire Mm. season is May through November. Mm -hmm. So interestingly, I have felt more loneliness in the summer than I used to and more connection in the autumn and winter Mm. than I used Mm. to. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to share this poem about loneliness. Yes. (laughs) This is called Alone in August. So swollen with heat, I can't wear my old rings. Every door sticks, and even when it rains, the air stays thick enough to slice, kick my feet through it. At the market, My name in a stranger's mouth tastes like lemon ice. Tracing chain link on the walk home, past the parched dirt and dusty diamonds, clouds fit to burst overhead, I think about him and feel outfield grass against the back of my neck. Bedtime, wet rag heavy, hands roam up and down my thighs, Diffuser respires citrus oil like sweet breath. A bloated moon and heat lightning break through the window. Wake me in the middle of the night. Cell phone lights up under the sheet. I don't even need to see the message. The best has already happened. In the middle of the night, someone thought about me. Victoria, and what comes to mind is how often we look to our phones <laughs> for a glimpse, a taste, some lifeline to remedy the loneliness. How often we turn to our text. Did someone text? <laughs> Our email, did someone email? Even scrolling Instagram, a personal message? Is there some notification? And I say that with deepest compassion. I've been there too. 
And yet, on except very rare occasions, the phone and whatever I find there does not quell loneliness. Mm. Yes, you get this like dopamine rush and then mm-hmm. a crash. Yes. And yes. and when you when you go to open the email or whatever type of message and there is nothing there, that mm-hmm. hollow feeling, <laughs> oh. you know. <laughs> oh, the hollow feeling. And for me, that's the moment if I can remember to put my phone away and pick up a book. Pick up The Power of Ritual, that beautiful book you were Mm. referencing. Pick up a book of poetry and read something out loud. Step outside and just look up or find a tree. And this speaks to that spiritual piece of what happens when we are disconnected from land, from trees, from sky, from moon, from the natural world, from the God realm, the spirit realm, from the place of ritual and ancestors. This is all the left. I envision it. This is nothing official. This is just how I envision connection, that the left side are a few branches that connect out into ancestors, ritual, nature, invisible realm. And I can feel profoundly lonely, like I was saying earlier, and then step out into the natural world. And it's, it's gone. I'm filled in. I'm connected. And I think some of that loneliness I felt as a kid in Los Angeles is because I was profoundly disconnected from the natural world. There is so little natural world in Los Angeles. There are so few trees. There are no waterways. Yes, there's the ocean, but unless you live right on it, it's not easy to get to it. We lived a block from the four or five freeway, one of the busiest freeways in Los Angeles. I could, that's the hum of what I heard. I didn't hear birds. I didn't hear wind. So there was nothing to catch me in those lonely hours. Yeah, I remember lying in bed with that, what Payment Children calls the hot loneliness. Mm. like literally burning, like it just like physically restless with loneliness, like not having been touched by another person in two months or something. And I remember just saying, and this is unusual for me just because I, I really struggle. Like I have such desire and longing for spiritual connection and Mm. such desire for like belief. And yet I struggle with it so much. I often feel Mm. so empty when I want to Mm. feel full. So alone when I want to feel connected. But I remember just lying there and being like, God, please come be with me. Mm. And I would like name every body part that was like burning. I'd be like, please come be with me in my feet. (laughs) Please come be with me in my calves. Please come be with me 
in my thighs. Mm. Like just naming these body parts that felt like they were like on fire with loneliness. Wow. And what did you notice? It helped calm me a little bit because Mm -hmm. you touched on this. There are levels of loneliness that are not okay and they can make you panic, you know, and that did help to calm me. Yes. And in those moments, like we've talked about, if you can name it enough and move beyond any shame layers that might be there to that's the time to reach out to another human Mm -hmm. and pick up the phone and not just text, but actually make an actual phone call or a FaceTime and to say, I'm so lonely right now. And that's so hard to do and so vulnerable for most people to do that. But we are not meant to spend two months without being touched. Just a hug, human contact, to hear somebody say your name. Mm -hmm. We are social animals. And there is a level of loneliness that is not okay and a level of loneliness that is trauma loneliness. And, And... There are children who grow up and the defining feeling of their childhood is loneliness. Even if there were two parents there, even if there were siblings there, it doesn't matter if they were not being attuned to. The predominant experience was I am alone in the world. Nobody is here for my needs. And it makes it very difficult to then ask as an adult, can you please hug me? I need a hug right now. I'm so lonely. The rupture was so great that those neural pathways are not practiced. They're very, they're there. We have capacity to ask, but they're dormant. And so you asked, how does this show up for my clients? Sometimes it shows up as a perseveration or a rumination on death and death anxiety And the question I'll often ask is some version of my cut through question for intrusive thoughts. What is this thought protecting you from feeling? And when the person can drop down underneath the thoughts, they will often say, I'm so lonely. Hmm. I'm so lonely. And I will name for them Rumination on death, death anxiety is sometimes a placeholder for loneliness because as a child, to be that lonely felt like you were going to die. And in fact, we know from infant studies, if there isn't enough contact, if there isn't enough attachment, a baby will die. Mm.
And I know you also linked that to separation anxiety too, right? It's what I felt so much as a kid when I would be, when I was away at, let's say, a friend's house for a sleepover. And if I didn't feel safe enough, if I didn't feel connected enough, I think not only to the friend, but to the friend's parents, Mm. it was intolerable. And I... I literally could not tolerate it, and I would call my parents and say, come pick me up. And that happened over and over and over and over again. And it happened into even my teenage years, and it happened the first few months of college. I wanted to come home, had horrible homesickness, and that's not uncommon at all, especially for highly sensitive people. And it wasn't until I I made enough connection until I made good friends. That that horrible feeling where it just feels like an abyss mm-hmm. opens up in your soul and you're falling through this vast emptiness with no tether. It is a horrible feeling. Mm-hmm. And so eventually with enough connection and friendship, I didn't feel that way anymore. And then, you know, of course, meeting my husband met so many places inside of me, not perfect, but pretty darn great. And there's a level of loneliness that I just don't feel anymore. It doesn't mean that it's always perfect union or he always gets me. I always get him. But like you said earlier, Victoria, I think it was so important what you said about in friendship, you don't, and this is true for relationships, romantic relationships, you don't have to be clones of each other. You don't have to have all the same interests or completely get what each other is saying. But the union, the connection is in being able to say, yeah, we're so different, but that's cool. And isn't that amazing? And look how we're different because you're still connecting then. Yeah. Right? You're connecting by naming the difference and and having tenderness towards how you're different. Yes. If anything, it moves me so much when a friend is like, yeah, I'm not really anxious, but they have compassion for it. They have patience yes. for it. They They anticipate it for me they you know something happens Mm. and they give me a look and they're like I'm here you know Mm. um or we don't share certain interests but that friend says oh I you know I picked this up for you because Mm. I saw it and I thought of you like to me that goes beyond that's miraculous that humans can do that My mind is really going to the people who are feeling lonely in relationship, mm-hmm. whether it's with their partner or maybe with the family that they're going to be spending, you know, a holiday with mm-hmm. or with friends. Mm-hmm. What are some questions that you ask that person to just think about when they're bringing to you, you know, I feel so lonely with my loved one? or loved ones right now? Mm. 
You know, it's not so much questions as it is inviting them to make infinite space for the loneliness and not trying to fix it or get rid of it and being careful about falling into a trap that says, I shouldn't be feeling this way. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with them. But that when we can acknowledge there's loneliness here. And can I be with the loneliness? Can I not exile it with my shame or judgment? And if I do that, can I bring even tenderness to that part of me that goes to shame? Mm-hmm. And that when I can make room for whatever's happening inside of me and put a hand on my heart and connect to some sense of my own inner parent, my own part of me that does love me, that can make room for my emotional life. As painful as it is to be feeling lonely in the presence of others, to know that you are not the only one that's feeling that way right now, that there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people feeling exactly what you're feeling right now. And that it passes. Hmm. Like all of our emotions, you might be feeling intensely lonely and then you're not. Yeah, we were talking yesterday about how sometimes there's loneliness that that you are called to do something about, to call someone or to mm-hmm. talk to someone about it or, you know, to to do something to try to change the circumstance if you can or make mm-hmm. a change if you can. And then there's loneliness that you notice and witness and hold space for and let be, right? Yes. Yes. And it's not always easy to discern what's needed Mm. moment by moment. That's part of the skill of growing that inner parent, of having a relationship to your inner world and your emotional life, of becoming more adept at the you that you are, you know, of how you, what your rhythms are what your nature, what your needs are. But you also can't really go wrong, right? It's not about getting it right. Mm. It's about doing this perfectly. It's about really being curious, bringing that mindset, that incredibly healing mindset of curiosity to your inner experience. And hopefully some dose of compassion. You know, this is, this is where I love the Tonglen practice Mm -hmm. that Pema Chodron brought to this country, to her teachings. Do we feel ready? This feels like the perfect moment. Okay. 
So before we close, I want to teach and share and remind you because I've taught this so many times. So many of you are already familiar with the practice of Tonglen. It's a very simple, powerful practice that I teach anybody who's willing to listen, my children, my clients, my course members. And the basic practice is to breathe into whatever you are feeling right now. And so our tendency is to push away difficult feelings. That's how we're wired. That's how we're wired biologically and culturally to push away what's hard, exile it. So this practice teaches us to reverse that. And when we do it enough, it starts to become the newer habit. So I invite you to do this with me right now or to come back to this if you're feeling lonely or for whatever you may be feeling. To close your eyes if that's a way that helps you to tune inward and to tune in. And to start to notice your inner being, your body, your emotions, what's happening in your heart. And if you notice some sense of sadness or loneliness, to breathe into that place, to place a hand on your chest and literally imagine your breath like a hug, sending your breath down into that place of loneliness. Breathing into it, making room for it, holding it. And then on the exhale, it's breathing out the opposite. Some sense of connection, comfort, solace. So breathing into what's painful and breathing out the opposite. The second step of Tonglen is to breathe in for everybody who's feeling exactly what you're feeling right now. Breathing into the pervasive loneliness that so many humans are feeling right now and especially as we get deeper into the holidays. Breathing into that space of a shared heart and breathing out the opposite, a big communal hug that somehow makes its way around the whole planet and somehow touches the hearts that need touching. So breathing in for everybody feeling loneliness and out some sense of comfort, some sense of hug.
And this can be a 10 second practice of one inhale and one exhale for yourself, one inhale and one exhale for everybody else feeling this way. It can be a one minute practice. It can be a five minute practice. I really love Tonglen as an on the spot practice. Even sometimes just one inhale and one exhale. And that's all. Thank you, Cheryl. Mm. Thank you, Victoria. I'm going to be returning to that. I know I will. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hmm. <sighs> okay. Cheryl, if people want to find more of you and your work online, where should they go? My website is conscious-transitions.com and I'm on Instagram at Wisdom of Anxiety. And you can find me over on my other podcast, Perennials, or on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. And if you are enjoying Gathering Gold, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, rate it, leave a review, and share it with a friend if you think they might enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening.